0: Hello and welcome to this edition of the IFS Zooms In and today we're going to be looking at the proposals for changes in the funding of social care that were announced to the country just a week ago. I'm going to be joined in this by Natasha Curry of the Nuffield Trust and my colleague at the IFS Ben Zaranko. As I'm sure all of you listening will know, the Prime Minister announced some big reforms to the funding of social care, changing both the way that it's funded, the amount of money that it's getting, how the means test will work, and also introducing a cap on the amount that anyone will have to pay. So that's the the very broad outline of what he told us last week. But of course, there is an enormous amount more to understand let's start off by working out what actually happened. Um, Natasha, perhaps you could just uh, kick us off by outlining what were the major uh, announcements on social care.
1: Okay, so the, the, the big headline was the raise in national insurance contributions of 1.25%, um, so paid by employee and employer, plus um, an addition of the dividend tax increase of 1.25%. And that all of that levy and the, the dividend tax in, increase will go into a health and social care um, pot. So it's a ring fenced budget, raising thirty six billion pounds over the next three years. And so I think the the initial reaction was great. You know, this this might be a sustainable funding source for social care. I think what sort of shifted the week before the big announcement was the realisation that actually this pot would be shared. with the the health service um, and social care. And the eventual announcement was that out of that 36 billion, 30 of which will go to England, only 5.4 billion will come to adult adult social care in England over three years. And I think that came as a bit of a shock to people in in the sector who were expecting quite a bit more. Um, So that's what's coming in. In terms of what the announcement was of of how that will be spent, there are four main components. The first, as you mentioned, is a cap on lifetime care costs set at uh, £86,000 a year. A raising of the floor, so the change to the means test at which people are able to access or apply to access um, state funding for care. There's some money in there, half a billion pounds for workforce support. And then there are some changes to fees paid to Providers, so a fair fee for providers and also for people who fund their own care, so self-funders, to be able to access council rates um for care. So that was the that's a summary of the four main components. And I'm sure we'll want to dive in in, in more detail to each of those as we go.
0: Quite a lot going on there. Um let let's start, Ben, just by uh talking a bit more about the scale um of the money. Natasha's referred to the thirty-six billion over three years, the twelve billion pounds a year being raised, but but really quite only a small fraction of that going into um into social care. Perhaps you could put that into a a, a bit of perspective, both in over those three years and, and what we might expect to see after that.
2: As Natasha said, there's five point four billion pounds announced for social care over the next three years. We don't yet know precisely how that will be Uh, allocated over that period we don't know if it'll be front-loaded or perhaps back-loaded to reflect the fact that um, some of these costs are likely to grow over time Um, but if we assume that that's split evenly over three years that's about 1.8 billion per year that's a little less than 10 percent on top of what the budget for adult social care in england was uh, heading into the pandemic so you know 10% increase is not nothing, that's not to be sniffed at. But as Natasha's hinted at, and I'm sure we'll come back to later, given some of the the scales or some of the challenges facing the adult social care sector, um, that money may not prove to be enough to achieve everything that the government might like. I think one of the big challenges here is that uh, more than 80% of the funding is going to the NHS in the near term. That's to deal with things like the elective backlog and to help get the health service back on its feet after an enormously difficult 18 months or so. The challenge is that, based on some recent analysis we've done at the IFS, is that in the near term, that money for the NHS might be, might be just about enough to, to deal with some of those pressures. But in the medium term, it looks like it perhaps may not. And if has, has happened historically, the NHS budget is topped up, the NHS comes back for more, and the Chancellor accedes to those demands and tops up the NHS budget from within this new health and social care funding pot, that could quite easily eat into the amount available for social care. And social care might end up being the, the unfortunate cousin that doesn't quite get as much as the NHS. So I think that's something that people in the care sector will be acutely worried about in the years to come that's
0: really striking and potentially quite worrying isn't it 1.8 billion a year as he says about a 10% increase in funding after sharp cuts over the last decade and in the medium run this is supposed to not just um improve the quality of social care and maybe a 10% increase would just about be enough to do that but it's supposed to pay for this more generous means test and the uh, and the new cap on cost. So, that's actually this, this feels like there's not enough money there uh, to pay for all of the things that the government's saying that it wants to do in social care.
1: Yeah, it, it is looking like a, a very modest sum to cover the things that are set out in this do- document, let alone all the other problems that we know about in social care that will be dealt with in a white paper um, that is meant to be coming down the line. I mean, to put the the amount in some sort of context, some modelling by the Health Foundation, suggests that a cap and floor around what what we're looking at would cost about £2.5 billion a year when it's fully up and running. And I mean, we need to understand that the the cap will not come into effect until October 2023. So these costs will be coming down the line a a bit further on, but it's still looking like quite, quite a modest sum. To, um, to fund some of this, uh, some of these ideas. And what, what's frustrating is the lack of detail in the document that accompanies the announcement. There's no um, modelling behind it. There's no um, assumptions that have been put out into the public domain. So it's really difficult to assess what the, what the modelling is, what the assumptions are that have been made around how many people will benefit from the cap, from the raised floor, how much the, the, the provider fees changes will, will cost, for example.
0: And while we're on funding, Ben, I mean, this obviously, um, although we don't often talk about this, what we're really talking about here is funding going through local authorities because nothing has changed in that context. It's local authorities who uh, provide and pay for social care. And so we should see this extra money for social care in the context of their budgets and potentially quite strapped budgets over the next few years.
2: That's absolutely right. I think that The Chancellor has done a big tax rise and he's topped up his spending plans, but the outlook for areas like local government is still looking quite tight over the next few years, particularly over the next two. And it is local governments that will be having to make extra money available if they want to improve the quality of social care that's provided or if they want to relax the needs test, which I think we don't talk about as much, anywhere near as much as we do the means test, but lots of local authorities have tightened eligibility criteria so that only people with really quite severe care needs qualify for publicly funded care. If you want to provide funding to more people, that's going to require extra cash. If you want to pay the social care workforce better, I think uh, the Department of Health recently estimated that if you wanted to pay the care workforce in England the same as their counterparts on the lower band of the NHS Agenda for Change pay bans, that could cost in excess of a billion a year, something like 1.2 billion a year. Um, and its local governments that will have to foot the bill for lots of this. And we've talked about, um, Natasha hinted that the change that will allow people who are self-funded, so people who are paying for their own s- social care, to access care at the price that the council pays, as opposed to paying far, far more than those getting publicly funded care. But if that's going to happen, the council fees that they pay to providers are likely to have to increase Um, in the recent past they've been below cost almost what they've been paying to care providers so that might need to change as well and it's local governments will have to foot the bill and if that isn't paid for by increasing funding from central government via grants are we looking at big council tax rises are we looking at cuts to other local government services it could prove to be a very tricky couple of years or even a decade for local government as these changes are gradually brought in
0: and I think that's probably going to come as quite a shock to some listeners how, um, how skimpy the amounts of money are that are going into social care and how, how they're probably not going to go even far enough to meet some of the expectations and, um, hopes for improving the quality of what's there. So that's the sort of underlying worry, I think, about the announcements. But let's dive in now to some of the, Uh, some of the detail, and in particular, um, these two big changes that we're um, seeing, the introduction of the lifetime cap on how much you should spend on care, and the change to the means test. Now, the big structural change, of course, is that introduction of the lifetime cap. So, no one should be paying more than £86,000 over their lifetime on the care component of the costs of social care, so perhaps Natasha, you could just say a little bit about what we understand, at least, about how that might work, and indeed the thinking behind uh, that change.
1: Yeah, sure. So the, the, the cap on care costs is an idea that Sir Andrew Dillnot proposed in his report in 2011, and it gained a lot of traction, and it was actually passed into legislation in the 2014. Care Act at a level of £72,000 then. Now, it was never fully implemented because the funding um, to make it work didn't follow. So, local authorities didn't have the funding to put into place. So, this is not a new idea. There's been a lot of speculation as to whether the cap would appear in the government's proposals. It's no surprise. I don't think that it is. I think there's a bit of disappointment that it's been set so high. So in Sir Andrew's original report, it was set at £35,000 over a lifetime, which is about £43,000, £45,000 in today's money. So we're looking at a sum that's pretty much double what he proposed. So the idea of the cap is that it gives people certainty. So over your entire lifetime you will be guaranteed you will not spend more than £86,000 on your personal care costs. Now, it's really important to understand the detail behind that because the, the term personal care is really key here. And how that's defined will determine how many people are going to benefit from this. Now, personal care usually refers to a quite a, a small number of specific services around basic needs so getting out of bed getting washed using the toilet eating those sorts of things basics of life it's very it's a very sort of narrow set it's not um what people think of as wider social care which is support to maybe go go to work use transport take part in activities live a live a kind of independent life um so where the government decides to to draw that line how it defines personal care will be really key. The other part of this to note is that it only covers care costs in residential care. So, if you were to move into a residential home, you will still have to pay what we call hotel fees, so bed and board, etc. The rationale behind that is that if you were not in a residential home, you'd be facing those costs in your own home. So, you pay for your food, your electricity, heating, etc. So, you'll still have to find those costs of of living. Um, So, We've done some rough calculations. We think that somebody in a sort of average is facing an average care bill in a, in a residential home. It'll take them about four or five years to have reached the cap. So before they start to benefit. If you're in home care, it's something more like six years. I mean, obviously, there'll be a huge range according to your intensity of needs, but it will take people quite a while to reach that cap and start to benefit so the in the government's document they estimate that about one in seven people face catastrophic costs so over a hundred thousand pounds so we might be talking we might be thinking about one in seven people benefiting from from the cap but again it really depends on what's what the detail is about what it what it covers Um, and then when it's paired with the floor it becomes even more (laughs) more confusing and and complex
0: well let's come on to that in a second can, can you give us a sense of um what the residential costs might be because I, mean, I i i worry i suppose that people think that uh, this is covering the whole costs of of um being in a care home but as you say it's only covering those costs associated with the the medical or social care that you're receiving can you give us any sense of the, the weekly or monthly cost of you know in in an average care home and how much of that would be what is covered by this cap and how much is uh, how much is not
1: the the charges that residential care providers charge are are not broken down so it's really difficult to give a a Sort of accurate breakdown between care costs and hotel fees. And they're set by the individual providers. But if you look back at Sir Andrew Dilnot's original report, he suggested that hotel costs are, should be within the region of seven pounds and £10,000 a year. He was proposing that you, you should limit them, put a cap on those. The King's Fund in 2016, I think it was, suggested that that, sh- that should be set at £12,000. So, Given that sort of ballpark, we might be talking and people might be looking at between twelve, fifteen thousand pounds £15,000 a year perhaps for those hotel fees. Depending on many factors, it will vary locally and it will vary according to the sort of level of luxury that your care home provides.
0: Okay, so that, that's very handy, 15000 a year or so. But that won't be provided even after you've spent your £86,000 on care costs and won't count towards those £86,000. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yep.
0: Yeah okay so that's the that's the that's the cap. can you now also take us through how the change in the means test because that's another big change which may well which could well actually affect more people than the 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 introduction of this cap
1: yes in a way it's the more significant potentially more significant change, but it's so complicated I think that not many people quite understand it um so at the moment if you have means, that's assets and savings below £14,250, you can access full cost of care from your council. There's also a needs test, but we can come back to that. So, say you have that level of of assets, you might get full funding. Under £23,250 at the moment, you can apply for some help. So, there's a sort of taper between those two sums. Now, if you have assets, so maybe property um, and the savings, above £23,250, you have to pay for the full cost of your care. So, the big change in the recent proposals are that those limits or those thresholds have been raised to £20,000 for the lower level and £100,000 for the upper level. So, if you have assets below that £100,000 level, you can apply to your council for some funding and the, I think it's interesting in the document that the government's published it says that your council is likely to contribute towards your costs and there's a lot, a lot riding on that likely what does that mean and also how quickly will that what What will the taper be like between the 20,000 20, and the 100,000 questions like that will be really uh, important to understand to then work out how many people are likely to be able to benefit from that. And as Ben was talking about earlier, even if you fall below the means test, there's then a needs test. And if the cap and floor model are not properly funded, even if you've got a lot of people in your local authority who fall below the the means test, the local authority might then increase its needs test so that it only it will have to focus on the very high needs people, even if there's a lot of people that fall in the means test.
0: Oh, I see. So, there's a worry here that with local authorities having to implement a more generous means test so that people, with, people who currently would just be cut out of this because they've got too much in the way of assets, local authorities then become obliged to provide some funding for their care. Because they've got a limited budget, they may then say, uh, that the care is only available to people with even more severe needs than is currently the case. In other words, if they're having to balance their budget and they've got a nationally set means test, um, they may have to adjust the, 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 the needs test. They may actually have to make it even more, even more difficult to get hold of council-funded care unless you're really, really, really in, in serious need
1: yeah there's a risk of that unless enough money flows to local authorities to be able to properly fund from the changes
0: wow um i confess i hadn't uh, i hadn't appreciated i should have appreciated that that trade off and it's certainly one of the trade offs of course that local authorities have been making over the last decade as the number of people entitled to care uh, has fallen really quite dramatically because the amount of budget available has fallen and the way that councils have rationed that is to say you really do need to be in greater need than you used to have to be in, in order to get some of this support. Ben, Natasha's given us a really nice sort of overview of the changes and how they're being introduced and um, and going back to this this issue of the cap, I mean, what we've got is a world where in the past, if you ended up in residential care and you had an expensive house, you'd have to sell that. And if your care cost came to £500,000, well, you'd have to pay it. The, 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 the criticism that we're seeing a lot of this package is that it will mostly benefit those with really quite expensive houses, in particular on benefit their heirs, uh, because they will now inherit less. And this is being paid for through a levy on people in, uh, in work, including relatively low-income people in work. How seriously should we take this criticism that this is really all about protecting inheritances rather than uh, a sort of sensible use of limited state resources?
2: There's quite a few points to cover there. I think, first of all, when we think about the cap, let's come on to the means test in a moment because I think they're they're distinct and it's important to think about how they'll affect different groups of people in different ways. But we think first about the cap. It's important to think about the problem that it's trying to solve. And the problem it's trying to solve is this, um, this idea of a, a lottery where some people, as the government now estimates, one in seven people might face a lifetime care cost in excess of £100,000. Some people will face very, very little. And it's this idea that it's unfair that someone who... Gets cancer, might need lots and lots of care from the NHS, and that's completely funded. But someone who gets dementia, perhaps needs several years worth of very expensive care, might be expected to pick that up. And there's an argument that this cap is designed to address that perceived inequity, and that's it's providing state insurance, and that might be something that improves society's welfare. Now, there is an element of truth to the fact that the people who might benefit most from such a cap would be those who had the most to lose in its absence, so the people with the most assets would have had the most assets to burn through under the previous system. Um, And those who had no assets in either world, they're basically left unaffected. So in that sense, it's right that some of the main beneficiaries here will be those who are relatively well off in terms of their wealth. But that's not really the point that we're trying to address here. If we want to um, make sure that people with more wealth Pay for this reform. We could have raised the taxes in perhaps a different way. We could have thought about how we tax property or inheritances or other forms of wealth. But we've 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 chosen not to. But those those perceived inequalities could be addressed elsewhere in the tax and benefit system. Here, the problem that the cap is trying to address is that insurance problem, and so it does. But if we think about the means test. Um, the people who primarily benefit from that that change to move the goalposts from fourteen thousand, twenty-three thousand to twenty thousand and hundred thousand, the main beneficiaries there will be people who have fairly modest levels of assets. So if you previously had, you know, an eighty thousand pound house, previously you'd have been well in excess of the upper limit, but now you would qualify for some government support so those are people who aren't by any stretch of the imagination extremely wealthy but they'll benefit from that part of the change so we really have to take the two reforms as a whole and we have to think about the fact that this isn't the only way that we can try and address perceived inequalities and in wealth and what we want to do about inheritances there are other tools and levers we have to address those issues
0: so big big changes to the way that this is being done probably not enough money available uh, Natasha, where, where, where next do you think? I mean, is your view that ignoring the amount of money available, that, that the change to the cap and the change to the means test is essentially what you wanted? Or do you think we need, to come back to this really quite soon because it's going to leave um, you know, big enough problems that this is not going to look solved. And, and I say, I, 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 uh, ignoring the um, ignoring the amount of money available at the moment, does this structurally look like a, a long-term solution?
1: Not really, uh, from my point of view. I think, um, as Ben has set out, the cap addresses one of the many problems in the system. The... If, if, whether it's effective even addressing that depends on the, the many details we've talked about and the fact that it's set quite high. Um, you know, there are questions for me about how well it really does address that insurance issue. But there are many other problems we have in the system that are not going to be addressed at all by these, this sort of tinkering around the edges. I mean, the change to the, the means test has more potential to bring more people into the system. But as I say, that has to be properly funded what I don't see in any of the documentation I've seen so far is how they how any of these changes will bring about an actual positive change to the way services are delivered the quality of services sort of investment in innovation different models of care in the kind of discussions about the cap and floor and all these technicalities we've kind of lost the, the purpose of social care what are we trying to do with this system what is it that we want to create here and that's completely absent, as far as I can see, from the debate so far. So a lot, I think, is riding on the white paper that's meant to be coming out later this year, which is meant to set that sort of broader vision. Um, To me, it seems a bit back to front. I would have liked to to have seen that sort of ambition for what it is we're trying to create. And then, you know, there might be an incremental change towards that, which might have started with this set of reforms. But I think it's really unclear to me what it is we're trying to... uh, to achieve and what the commitment is to what social care is meant to be about, which is improving people's lives. How are we going to do that?
0: Well, that, that's terribly important, is it? It really does feel a little bit cart before horse. It's, um, it, it appeals to us technocrats, as it were, to uh, look at the structure of the means test and to look to look at the the level of the of, of the cap and work out who's going to get what sort of money under that. Um, but as you say, it doesn't address these fundamental problems about what social care system is there to achieve, how people are experiencing um, social care, and what the government's actual uh, actual agenda and vision is uh, for the social care system. So a long way to go on that. Before, before we come to an end, Ben, I'd just like to take us back to the issue of this £12 billion uh, a year, which the government is making available for health and social care. Because I think, and I think this is really important in understanding where this is all going to go, I think your conclusion is that three or four years down the road, all of that £12 billion is going to be needed for the health service, broadly speaking, whilst the cost of this social care package will broadly increase over time, particularly as the impact of the cap comes into place, but also as demographic change continues to take hold. Is that,
2: is, that, is that a broadly fair summary? That's certainly a worry. I think that if we take a step back and look at the big picture here, this is a government that has, to some extent grasped the nettle, it's recognised that there are these big pressures and it's raised a big and broad-based and broadly progressive tax in order to funding for those things which I think is more than lots of previous governments have managed but yes there is a concern that at least if we look at the money raised by this health and social care levy um, the cap isn't introduced until October 2023 and it's only care costs accrued after that point that will count towards the cap and if it takes a couple of years you might think that it won't be its full cost won't be felt until you know perhaps 2025 2026 perhaps even later the means test might start kicking in and increasing costs sooner than that. So perhaps in 2023 or 2024. Um, But in the near term, most of this money looks to be marked for other things. And I guess as as Natasha's made really clear, it's really important that over the next few years, and then looking further ahead, these reforms to the funding system are backed up with adequate funding. But there is certainly a risk that if the NHS um, does what it usually does and comes back to the Treasury asking for more money in the face of Um, scary numbers and scary pressures, that could easily take up this full £12 billion. So we've actually estimated that we think there might be something like a £5 billion shortfall in 2024-25. Now that could easily widen. It's easy to forget that there were big pressures on health and social care even before the pandemic. The pandemic has only obviously made some of these things more acute. And so, yes, it might end up with the NHS sucking up all of that £12 It's important to remember that We don't just spend £12 billion a year on health and social care. We spend a huge amount more than that. Uh, This isn't a really, in any meaningful sense, a hypothecated pot for health and social care. It doesn't really determine how much we spend on those things. And the government, if it wished, could increase funding for social care from another source, whether that's by raising taxes, borrowing more, cutting something else. There's nothing to stop it doing so. The question is, from past experience, I would be hesitant about believing that the NHS will settle for what it's being promised right now i'll be hesitant about any government pumping money into social care at a really rapid rate that hasn't been the experience of the past decade or so and yet so there is a, a genuine worry there but perhaps uh, in future years things will be different maybe this maybe this time is different
0: <laughs> maybe it's not um uh, natasha the la- last word from from you how different will this look to people going into social care over the next 2 or 3 years will they notice the difference and what's your sense of you know where care providers and local authorities are on this are they delighted relieved or just kind of throwing up their hands in horror at additional complexity and not much money
1: yeah so on your first question will people notice the difference i think because the main part of the reform the cap And the floor changes don't come in until 2023. Then no, I don't think people will um, see anything different. And there's nothing in there that shows that tells me that anything else will be radically changed in the in the short term. I think a lot rests on the spending review um, to see what whether there'll be any short term change. I think what this has done is increase the complexity even more of an already incredibly complex labyrinthine system Um, and I think that it there was a bit of a a missed opportunity here to really start again and to to take a step back what do we want with this system and how can we design it to actually work for the people who who need services. Um, We've seen quite a strong statement from ADAS, the Association of Directors of Adult Social Services, who have said that they can't find anything meaningful in the document and that there's no extra money to back up any of the changes. So that's quite, um, obviously quite disappointed on on their part. Providers, I think, are also nervous. I think it was welcome that there was a recognition that the provider market is not functioning. So the reference to the fact that self-funders often pay higher rate 40% more fees in the residential uh, for residential care than the council pays because providers are paid as Ben was saying uh, fees by councils that are at or below cost so there was a a welcoming that that has been recognised as an issue and the fact that councils should be paying providers a fair rate but again it comes back to can councils afford to pay providers a fair rate and if self-funders are going to be able to access a lower council rate if they if the council rate is not then increased to a fair rate that is making providers very worried that could cause huge instability in the market so I think there's a lot of a lot of uncertainty and because of the lack of detail and and lack of sort of modeling around where the money is is allocated I think providers and councils are very nervous.
2: If I could just add something on that very quickly, which I think is important, is that there's a very interesting regional dimension to this, because in 2017, only about one in five people in the Northeast in a care home were actually paying for their own care. Whereas in the Southeast, it was more like 60%. So you've got a very big difference in the you know, the proportion of care home residents who are being paid for by the council in different parts of the country. And that's meant that it can be, for example, much more profitable to run a care home in the southeast than it is in the northeast, because you're receiving far more of these, as Natasha said, 40% higher fees from self-funders than you might be if you're operating a different part of the country. So it's not just about the overall level of money that is eventually announced, but incredibly, incredibly important will be how that's distributed between local authorities and between different parts of the country. There's all sorts of complicating factors here, which we won't go into now, but things like it's care homes might be much more expensive to operate in some parts of the country. Wages might be higher. Um, there's all sorts of things about people perhaps moving to get cheap. If you have a national rate that ignores local variation, you're going to get lots of weird unintended consequences. And there's lots of, lots of details to be filled in later that um, will be fantastically important
1: and can i add just one last thing that i think has been missed out almost entirely so the the workforce there's half a billion pounds for workforce support when you look into that it's around training and wellbeing support which will be welcome but we have a workforce of 1.5 million people it works out about 300 pounds each nothing on pay at all we are come, we're heading into a winter where the workforce is in crisis providers are, are struggling to fill vacancies like never before. And so providers and councils were hoping for something more immediate on the workforce front. And again, we look to the spending review for that. But I think that's possibly the biggest challenge we face in the next few months. Well,
0: what I take from all of this is that this, whilst it sounded like uh, a great announcement, it sounded like the uh, a lot of extra money for, for social care, the end of catastrophic costs, a relaxing Of the means test, it sounds like it's a first step towards uh, solving some much bigger problems in social care. In the first instance, the amount of money available at less than 2 million a year is a lot less than I think the general consensus was in terms of what social care needed to do those things and improve the quality. It's going to leave uh, local authorities potentially in a very difficult position as they have to provide for this more generous means test, but potentially with not much more money. and so actually more people might find that they're uh, not entitled to support because the needs test is is tightened further. There are, as Natasha said, continued worries about a lot of the details of this and in particular about the workforce. And we're going to be looking for a lot more details, both in the spending review in terms of whether more money will be forthcoming and in a future white paper to give us more sense of the government's direction and ambition for the social care sector. All of that said, as Ben uh, has, has quite rightly pointed out, this is a step in the right uh, direction. The Government has taken on the recommendations to a large extent, of um, the Dillnot review and is ending uh, the catastrophic costs. Um, but this really is step number one in, uh, in what still might need to be a long and expensive journey to an acceptable social care system. And I suppose if I were uh, sitting in number 10 or number 11, I might be quite worried that I'd made quite a lot of this. I'd uh, made the uh, noises to suggest that a lot of the problems are over. Uh, But as Natasha has said, we're still going to end up with a horribly complex labyrinthine system which people are going to continue to struggle um, to navigate uh, and in a world in which the money that's available is probably still not quite adequate. So glass half full or glass half empty... Uh, I'm not sure, but certainly glass nowhere near um, actually full. So thank you so much, Natasha. Thank you, Ben, for a great discussion about this. I've certainly learned a lot about the still learning uh, a week after the announcements last week, and it sounds like there's still plenty to learn thank you everyone for listening do tune in uh, in the future for all of our latest work please visit www.ifs.org.uk and to support our work please consider becoming a supporter of the IFS for as little as just five pounds a month you can find a link with further information in the episode description and of course on our website thank you for listening and do stay
1: well